Hi, everyone. Before we get started with this week's episode of Sound Notes, I thought you might be interested to know that Leading Agile recently released an all-new case study that follows the journey of a large technology company as they embarked on their Agile transformation. The case study begins with a thrashing organization that was unable to make and meet their commitments and walks you through some of the steps they took to stabilize their system of delivery and how they were able to parlay that system into becoming the type of organization that could pivot and emerge into new markets. So if you'd like to learn how our client did it and how they were able to achieve a recurring year-over-year benefit of over $3 million, head over to info.leadingagile.com slash study and download the case study today. You'll also find the link in the show notes for this podcast. Thanks. Hey, this is Dave Fryer. Welcome to Leading Agile Sound Notes. Rick McMichael is here. Rick, thanks for taking time out of your holiday. Oh, thank you. Thank you for having me. Um, so I'm going to ask Rick to introduce himself to everybody in a few moments, but he's he's sort of the ringer that I brought in for this specific, I can't even talk today, the ringer that I've asked to join the call for this very specific topic. I had someone in class recently ask me, could you use Agile for mergers and acquisitions. And Rick is somebody who's got a lot of experience in that. And so we're going to talk through um, how you would apply different agile practices, where there's parallels, where things fit, where they don't, and where they might be a little bit more kind of leaning towards the traditional side. So um, Rick, before we get into the topic, could you talk a little bit about your background and the work that you're doing at Leading Agile? Yeah. So hi, I'm Rick Michael. Thanks for uh, for having me today. Uh, I am a principal consultant at Leading Agile. I've been with the company about six months. I've been involved in the company throughout its entire history uh, through a series of relationships. So I'm excited to be part, directly part of the Leading Agile family now. Uh, done a lot of things over the course of my career. I come up from the software development side and development leadership and architecture and architecture leadership and. Um, as part of that, working for Fortune 500 companies uh, have been blessed to be part of a lot of acquisition efforts. And so um, when we say acquisition, we're part of the M&A process or mergers and acquisition. And that's the act of one company acquiring another company for, for a reason that will be beneficial to both of them. So I've been part of that, um, that process of of doing discovery and diligence and uh, making the decision about the acquisition, the integration of the company after it's been acquired, right? There's a, there's a business case um, that was part of the decision to make the acquisition in the first place, right? So after you get the, uh, the company, now the two companies have to be one and they have to deliver on a promise in that business case. So I totaled it up um, not, not too far in the past and I've been part of about 30 of these things. I have a I have a question to ask you about this. Yes. I've been through um, probably two on the acquisition side and several on the other side, the integration side. And whenever I hear anybody say like, "Oh, we're being acquired," I'm always like, "Oh, sorry. You want me to help you find another job?" <laughs> They're like, "Oh no, no. They're totally going to leave us alone. It's going to be great. They're just going to infuse us with all this wonder." And I always look at them like, uh-huh. I mean, do you <laughs> do, am I, do you approach, um, maybe not, but is that too jaded of an approach? Have you seen them go through where that the company that's acquired is still like its own self afterwards? 
Um, so I've seen several cases where that was the integration hypothesis, and that was the decision that was made. It's like, okay, this company we just bought, they're smaller than we are. And, uh, and candidly, they're better than we are because they can develop faster and they can, they can move faster and they can get product out there faster and they're innovative and we want to be all those things. And if we get in there and start dorking with it, then we're going to kill it. Um, so, yeah, I've definitely seen that as the, the integration hypothesis before. Have I ever actually seen that stand within the context of a large company buying a small company? No, I, okay. I have not. And, and for good reasons. Right. Eventually, they have to assimilate and become one culture, right. because if they don't, bad, bad things happen right? in the, in the long term. Uh, and the, also, the tendency of the, a major enterprise to, to, I call it octopus love, right? All the tentacles come out, and everybody that turns some profitability out that of it. You killed the <laughs> wants thing. To reach out at, that's right. I, I, <laughs> I wanted to love it, but I killed it. So, uh, so yeah. Well, yeah. so, I mean, in terms of... Um, we'll get into the topic in a second, but I just want to stick with this for a moment in terms of like, if we are the bigger company that wants to acquire a smaller company because they're better at this thing than we are, eventually our meat handedness is going to end up, you know, like you just said, octopus hugging the thing away. But doesn't that kind of squash the whole intention of acquiring them unless you're acquiring them to get rid of the competition? So there are, are many reasons why one company might acquire um, another or merge. Sometimes it's called a merger when it's a pairing of, of equals. Okay. Um, in, the, in the final analysis, however, though, there's usually a winner and a loser. Somebody's buying somebody else. Somebody, one, one company's calling most of the shots as opposed to the other company. So I personally think it's a little healthier just to recognize reality and and sort of deal with it from that lens. But there are lots of reasons why you might desire, decide to acquire another company. Um, it could be that they have a book of business, a customer that's important to you. Um, it could be that they have an innovative business process. You know, they built a better mousetrap that's directly in your space. Um, you might acquire another company defensively because they have conflicting intellectual property claims and Maybe you want to have that part of your your pantheon, so you short up your your case um, against the the patent trolls that are going to come after you. Um, it could be that it is an adjacency to the line of business that you're in, right? So it's not directly in competition with what we do. Um, it is an extension of this, or something that makes sense in combination, right? So you're looking for combinations of things that the sum of these is going to be. Uh, the sum of the whole is greater than the individual parts, right? And so okay. that's where that word synergy. Sometimes you'll hear the word synergy used. Yes. So what does it synergy. mean? <laughs> <laughs> well, synergy is the, the the recognition of what the new company, sometimes called NUCO, okay. uh, is going to be when you come out of this, and there will be assumptions that are made about that in the business case. There can be uh, revenue synergies which means that because of these two companies are together. So uh, one classic example would be one company buys another because this is a product that can be sold to the customers that I already have. Okay. Right? So I've uh, bought this thing. Yeah, I do, uh, yeah it's complimentary. Okay. So now as part of that, I can have what would be uh, considered revenue synergies. Because I have this thing and I can sell it, um, I can integrate it into my products and I can make it easy for other 
uh, my other clients to adopt it and they're going to see the value in this and they're going to pay me great, great sums of money to do all this. So that would be a revenue synergy right, coming out of that. So this is going to uh, sound, then, oh, good, good. No, you can go ahead, please. I was just going to say, it might sound stupid, but I'm really appreciative of you for explaining that because I've heard thousands of people use that word and I've never really understood why they were using it. <laughs> but what you just said made total sense. So thank you. Well, there's another synergy as well, and there's your cost synergies. Okay. And so that says that I can operate the whole of NUCO um, at less expense than the individual, some of what the individual companies were operating at. Okay. And so this is a lot of times when you hear the negative, you know, if, if somebody ever, um, you know, lost their job because of two companies coming together and they decided they didn't need that particular role anymore, then they're not going to view that synergy, you know, the uh, cost synergy uh, yeah. super positively, right? It's uh, But that becomes, uh, it's more of a euphemism. <laughs> it's like uh, in Florida calling a cockroach a palmetto bug, right? Right, right. Okay. So when we talk yeah. about um, mergers and acquisitions, there, like when I had somebody in class asked the question and somebody else asked what it was. Um, so could you briefly walk through the different steps of what is involved in um, a merger and acquisition? I think there's, there's kind of a, a flow to these things uh, and, and it can vary depending on the, you know, whether it's Titans merging you know, Fortune 500 companies coming together to become a Fortune 100 or a Fortune 10 company, right? That's, then you've got a really, really big process um, involved in that. Uh, and but and then there's also the other side that you're acquiring a startup because they built a better mousetrap and you want to add, you know, it's viewed as being a creative. Creative is another word that'll show up. In other words, you want you want it to improve your stock position, you know, which stock price to go up because of the acquisition, as opposed to being dilutive. And you'll hear that phrase sometimes where you don't want to buy something that's actually going to uh, take the stock price down. So you might do that for uh, a transitional period of time, right? If there's a bigger benefit to come after that. Okay. Generally, you're going to go after something that's accretive. So, but there's kind of a flow to these things in terms of the the, uh, um, we're going to go out and review the marketplace looking for the candidate opportunities for acquisition. Uh, then among that set of companies that, that come in, that, that, that you determine to be interesting, right, candidates for, for this acquisition yeah. space, then you would go through a discovery process. And the discovery process will be normally high level, very few people involved. And there you're getting like key financial data, uh, key positioning data, you know, maybe a high-level feel for the health of the company. Just so you now you get comparative data across the sets of companies I might consider to require. Okay. Um, you know, based on certain criteria, which ones are going to look like they're the most likely candidate. And then you go to a selection process, right, to get that down to the acquisition target. And then after you get to the acquisition target, then you get into a diligence phase. So the diligence phase will involve more people, uh, it's still need to know. Uh, it's not broadcast uh, out in the out in the marketplace, um, you know, because now you're going to start exchanging really sensitive pieces of information, product roadmaps. And would it, would an organization, you know, you you talked about finding these candidates, um, would they normally spec out like a couple 
or or just kind of lock in into the one? Uh, it could be both. Okay. Right. It, it all depends on the, the, risk. the importance and dollar value and, and risk. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's okay. great. That's a great, great okay. factor to consider there. Right. But consider the point case where I've gotten down to, to one or just a, just a couple. The diligence phase is pretty intensive. Because now you're trying to really look at the, the interior of the company and their legal agreements in place to make sure everybody's safe doing this because you're going to be learning really detailed stuff right now and get in there and, and look at their you know, core business processes, intellectual property, their financial standing, uh, reviewing the staff of the company, um, who, who are the real knowledge holds, holders in the company, who, who would be critical to keep. Now, more dear, dear and dear to my heart on the sort of delivery side of this, now you're getting them finding out what is the, what is the IT organization look like from, a, uh, from an infrastructure and operation standpoint, from a development standpoint. Do they have good, solid, good, solid uh, SDLC practices? Do they have high quality? Are they suffering from a lot of downtime? And, and what you're doing is you're just trying to find what is the state of okay. the company. And based on the hypothesis, the revenue assumptions and cost savings assumptions, what are you going to have to do to this company after you get it in order to acquire it? And, okay. you know, all, all companies are like families. They're big, messy things, right? They may be strong at something. They may be weak at something. It could be a startup where everybody did everything and things aren't super, super crisp. Maybe that any code quality isn't super high right now, but it was enough to get them in market. Right, right, and get their get their first thing out there. So you're not necessarily placing a value judgment on this, other than you're trying to understand what shape is it in. Okay, okay. And then after that, a couple couple more things. A- after that process, now you're looking at what's the planning part of this. I decide to buy this company. I have a business case that says I'm going to grow revenue. I'm going to make these sales. I'm going to save this money. Right. Yeah. There's a reason why we're buying this. It's like fine. Now once we buy it. It's the integration of this, these two things going to look like. And that can be, how am I going to fit it into the company? It could be as simple as how's the accounting going to be done? Who's going to do HR? Uh, but then it gets into, on a delivery side, it's like, okay, how am I going to bolt their product into my product? Right? What's, what's the, the technical architecture of how this is going to come together? Uh, let's say I've got 14 data centers already, and now they've got three more except one kind of looks like a data center and one's being hosted somewhere and one's a server sitting under somebody's desk. What am I going to do about all that? Can I, right. can I ask can a I question about this? Mm-hmm. So when I've been a part of them, th- this is the part where they have this like long range timeline of telling us when different things are going to happen. And they do tend to stick more or less. It's not like a regular project where we keep blowing the deadlines. They tend to stick with the time boxes but I don't know. It, it it seems like that is a very hopeful point at which to plant, plot out all these things that you're going to try to do. Almost like a waterfall way of doing it. <laughs> exactly. And, and I think this is where, you know, the leading agile, the agile perspective and the leading agile perspective can really, really come in. You know, certainly agile practices could be used across, you know, this whole pantheon of flow. Um, but as you get towards, Figuring out, first of all, assessing a company during diligence, you know, our concept of, of base camps, right, where we're able to go in and assess, a, assess the effectiveness of a delivery organization, like, right. you know, base camp one for 
for uh, predictability, Basecamp 2 for managing the size of the work that's going through things, we call it reducing fat size. Uh, Basecamp 3, decoupling dependencies. Uh, super important because if I'm going to bring technical assets together, I'm I'm in the sense creating dependencies, so I want to make sure that I'm managing those very very well. Okay. Uh, Basecamp four, you know, investment decisions, and then finally Basecamp five, we're investing to learn sort of those lean startup um, kind of concepts that are in there. These things are a great lens through which to look at the effectiveness of the organization that you're working at buying, and then after. The acquisition, when you've built a plan and you're actually doing the integration, now you've got these techniques uh, to apply as part of running the integration process. Have you ever seen it um, set up? I'm just trying to draw parallels to Agile here where I might say, okay, here's the big product that I want to build. Here's all the things in the product backlog. I'm going to prioritize them based on value and we're going to deliver the most important components first. Have you ever seen the the actual kind of onboarding or whatever you want to call it, that com- that aspect of the work done where it's prioritized across the entire effort so that maybe like this element of this group, this element of another group, this work practice, that work practice, or is it always done in like departments or silos? Uh, you know, it's hard to paint that with a broad brush. Okay. One consistent answer. Okay. Um, you know, I have seen it done where there's high value in sort of the, the test and learn approach, right? Where we where we build the candidate, uh, we get the skeleton out there, uh, you know, come up with a, with a hypothesis for the, the candidate solution and how we're going to tie these things together, and then iteratively start moving through delivering value okay. in, in short cycles, right? So that's perfectly applicable and, and can be extremely valuable. Uh, part of that, though, can depend on what shape of the organization when you buy it and what's the, the shape of the company when it's, when it's doing the acquiring. Right? Okay. So you, get, you get everything under the man. You, you could have a, a set of products that are heavily waterfall and you've bought a small company and they've been agile since the get-go. They had to be. Right? So now how do you fit those two things together? Uh, the, you can have exactly the opposite occur. Right? An agile organization buy a non-agile one. And then sometimes you get lucky, right? And you'll have both of them being agile. And, yeah. and now, you know, the synergy of that is pretty great, right? They can they can start delivering value in a short period of time. So is it is it fair for me to be thinking of it as if I was developing a traditional product, I have a marketplace. I, I've got, I want to put this thing in market. I want to see how it responds. And I'm thinking if it's two organizations, there is the actual marketplace and stock price and things like that. But another market would be internally. Like if you start hemorrhaging people, if they're all bailing or if there's some kind of giant seizure when you put these two things together and systems just don't work, is that, I mean, do you look at those as separate or is it all one thing? So I think they are separate dimensions um, to be considered, you know, at leading agile, we like to talk about three things, right? Yeah. That make agile work between stable teams, uh, and, uh, uh, defined backlogs, delivering working tests and software, right? So that's the stuff down at the team level. When we're talking about bringing companies together, now we're looking at those things at scale. Yeah. Right. And those three things at scale, the, 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 what's the structure going to look like? What is the organizational structure? Uh, the building blocks and how they're going to fit together, how the people are going to be organized, how the target company is going to be 
you know, made a part of the, the new code, the combination of the two. Uh, you've got the governance rules. How is work going to flow? Right? How are we going to decide what we're going to work on in what order and what are the roles and the responsibilities? And then really key would be the metrics that we're going to use to measure how things are going. And this is where a lot of acquisitions, uh, integration efforts fall down. And by, by the way, when I say integration, I'm talking about the whole thing. I'm not talking about the technical integration. Right. The whole company. Right. Right. Um, now, would each one of those things you just described be considered like a backlog item or maybe an epic or a theme in a backlog? Certainly. Okay. Mm-hmm. Certainly. Um, it's you know either an element in a plan or if we're working this using the, the lean and agile methods, and it's going to be an item in a backlog. Uh, and certainly when we work, companies do change, right? Part of our transformation process, there's a whole transformation process in there that's based on a lot of a lot of good solid principles like the you know Cotter change management principles. Um, there's a transformation office that maintains a backlog of the things we have to that have to be done, a set of services to be applied to the transformation. Yeah. Right. So there's definitely some some really good ways to go about doing that. But um, but you're you're talking about different dimensions of a very complex you know, initiative that's going to go on there. And you can think of that in terms of uh, the systems of, and when we say systems, we're not talking about technical systems, we're talking about systems of people. Yeah. Right. The systems of organizational capabilities, how those things come together. There are the okay. practices that folks are going to follow, you know, the sprint driven development sorts of things and, and things that people need to be taught. And then there's culture. And at the end of the day, when two companies come together, uh, the thing that'll that'll kill it over a period of time is if the cultures never mesh. If because in the best case, the two companies come together, the strengths are applied to each other, and the combination of the two companies winds up being better. Um, and I've seen this before. It can it can happen. It can happen very well, and you can wind up with a stronger, better company uh, than either one was before, right? Because you picked the best parts of the culture, you brought those things together. Okay. And now you now you have an even better company, uh, but then it's also a failure mode. If the cultures never assimilate, um, you know, in one case, uh, when I saw one company wind up eventually after a four year period be divested again, sold yeah. off uh, because the two were never able to to come together and they never tackled that. And I think part of the reason for that is um, you can't just start with culture. Right, it's culture is the hardest thing to change. It takes trust and time, um, experience, and that um, would apply to acquisition as well as an agile transformation. Absolutely, I think it's it's equally applicable in both of those things. Okay. Uh, so, from the leading agile perspective, we would say let's start with the things that we can do and control and have a quick win in, yeah. and start to build that. You know the trust influence loop there, start to build the trust in there by delivering on these things. And that would be the systems first approach. Now, right? structurally, how are we going to bring these, bring these things together? Do you tend to look at this, like if, if I was developing a product and using agile practices, part of what I'm trying to do is to test the market, create these MVPs, fail fast and learn, you know, pivot when I have to. Um, is there is there a parallel to that with what you just talked about with it with bringing the two companies together either culturally or practice wise or whatever I mean or do you think of it that way or is it just step by step here's the things we're going to put together? I 
I don't think it's uh, really possible to bifurcate those two things, right? They're, they're okay. kind of the same thing. Okay. Right? At the end of the day, uh, yeah, uh, you, you certainly don't want to wait for a year, you know, something where you don't have any feedback cycles to see, are you, are you living up to the hypothesis of the business case when you made the acquisition in the first place? Right. You need to know that information on short cycles where you have feedback loops and the ability to sense them, how the market is receiving the integration of these products or living up to the, the expectations that were there. Absolutely. So I'm kind of stuck on that part of it. So the, there's the expectations that are established up front. And maybe this is a really good parallel to what happens in a lot of companies. There's expectations. And then the agile part of my brain wants to do this like testing and, you know, like dipping my toe in the pool to see if the water's okay and then putting my foot in. But the project schedule and the expectation says foot goes in water here, regardless of the temperature. But we're assuming the temperature is not going to like burn my foot off. Um, I don't know. It just seems like there's a bit of a, you want to be able to test it, but aren't there a lot of people that are assuming this thing goes into the other thing and it should just snap together. Yeah. Um, that's definitely, uh, uh, it's definitely a problem with acquisitions, um, and integration, you know, acquisition integration programs because companies get deal fever and there's a potential to have overhyped expectations about what the synergy, both revenue and cost, um, those things tend to get inflated during the excitement of the early phases of the deal. Um, and so the top of the house is going to be concerned about, are we going to realize these savings? Are we going to realize this new revenue? Uh, and in a, in a certain time frame, usually very aggressive, aggressive time frames. And then it's left to the, the project and the initiative itself to go off and execute on these integration plans. Um, and that those two things are not kept in sync, right? So that the, the, the metrics are there and you are incrementally showing progress towards these things and then feeding that back to the senior executives that are watching for the outcomes, right? Uh, this, if those things are decoupled, now you have the, the possibility of surprise. Uh, and nobody likes surprise. Let's say you're, you're, six months down the road, eight months, 12 months down the road, and finding out that maybe your transaction expectations you had are not going to the percentage you thought they were going to, right? Um, you, need to, you need to sense those things early, early and often. So, and that gets us back to the metrics. Yeah, um, and well, I was going to say that gets us right back to Agile because everything you just talked about was about merger and acquisition, but it's the exact same thing with transformation. Hyped up expectations, people expect too much too fast, and they get all excited about it, and then it's awkward afterwards. That's yeah, a specialized form of transformation. That's what it is. Yeah. Yeah. So, do, okay. So, if we go down that path, then um, these are both different types of transformation. What are some of the most critical things to pay attention to, whether it's agile transformation or bringing two companies together? Like where, what have you seen across both sides that you're like, these are the three things that are most important to focus on? Yeah, so I don't know if I can boil it down to just three simple things. It's a, it's a calculus of many variables, but at the end of the day, um, you want to win, right? You want to win. So you want 
two companies to come together, you want the result to be better um, than either company was before. Um, you want to take the good parts of one and ignore the bad parts of the other and you know, come up with something that serves the market better, serves the, the, the shareholders better, serves the associate base better, right? It becomes an exciting place to an exciting place to work that's delivering on the, the promises that were hypothesized when you made the decision to do the the MA in the first place. Okay. So I have one more question about this. Um, I mean I have lots of questions, but I have one more question I'm gonna ask you about it. Um, so the person in class wanted to know if you could use this stuff. And it seems to me like we've talked about a lot of parallels, a lot of places where it's basically the same thing, just in a different focus. Um, or the same types of problems and challenges and, and opportunities. If I was to say that there are certain agile practices that are focused on trying to attain predictability, certain ones that are focused on trying to um, optimize flow and remove waste from the system, um, is there, like, what, if you were going to apply agile to mergers and acquisitions, is there a specific problem that? Agile practices can solve for. So the agile at small can be applied across the board because anytime I have to do something that involves a backlog of a list of things that have to be done in a short period of time, right? Then those those techniques are perfectly applicable. You know, maybe more in a Kanban kind of world than a sprint driven kind of world. Okay, depends. Right. So certainly those techniques are always available. So if I'm thinking about driving a diligence, then yeah, there's a backlog of questions that have to be answered in a very short period of time. Then I would definitely want to use those agile at small techniques to, to manage that. I'd want to have a stand up every day. I'm reviewing the state of the backlog. Oh, I've got an impediment. Who's going to help me? Uh, you know, those, all of those, those techniques are perfectly applicable there. Okay. Uh, and, and beneficial. Uh, but I think where also then the, the real value comes into play, but the higher orders of value is going to be when we start looking at the agile scale stuff, right? When we're starting to look at structure and governance and metrics and systems first approach, then focusing on the practices and then shaping culture intentionally, right? Through a transformation office over a period of time. Uh, that's a, now you're in a situation, one will help you get good information so you don't make a mistake when you're making a decision. The second one is going to help you be successful in doing the transformation after the decision's been made. And that's more likely, right, where things are going to fail. That's more, more likely where things can go south on you. So when you say at scale, we're not talking about I've got 500 scrum teams. We're talking about designing an or a new organizational structure that can support and sustain agile development or whatever the company wants to become that can support and sustain this new organization as it moves forward. Right. Okay. Defining the end state. Yeah. Okay. What I is think the new thing, what is the new thing going to look like? Okay. I think a lot of people, when they, when they talk about scaling, they still get swept up and that's just hundreds of teams working together and not so much about 
building an environment that is there to support and enable teams to deliver and map, you know, and large right. together. Mm-hmm. Uh, cool. Right. Creating the clearing conditions that will allow the new organization, A, to be defined, uh, to get from the initial state to the pilot version of that state, and then start moving out on the expeditions that get you all the way to the, to the end state. Cool. Okay. Thank you. Do you have any, um, like, what would you say to that person? If, if you got them in a, in a session, they were like, well, can you use Agile for, for m and I mean, other than just saying yes, is there any advice that you would offer that person? My first advice is um, when, you, when you're eating something and you go to a fine restaurant and you taste it where a master chef has prepared it, and then you, you, now you now this tastes really good. And you don't want to go back to the old thing anymore. So once you taste how to be successful at Agile, that's what tastes good now. And you're not going to be satisfied um, going back to anything else. And, and so I say this to make the point back to, to your student and the person that asked the question, which is, what would you not apply it to? Ah, I think, Good. Well, That's good. <laughs> if, if this is a great way to get things done, yeah. then why would I? Why would I do something else? Why would I not just do the thing that I know is going to help me be successful? Then we're always learning, right? The, the industry is over the decades has been learning about how to do this better and how to shape it, right? So I'm not saying that we can't continue to evolve the state of agile and uh, and get better and more successful over a period of time. But if you if you know the good thing to do, then then why not why don't we do that thing? I think the only thing I've found in my life that agile really doesn't hurt work well is trying to manage my relationship with my wife. She just doesn't <laughs> take that. I love that. Well <laughs> I've yeah. heard I've heard stories of it. I have one friend who uh taught his taught Kanban to his wife and they were using it to to you know, get everything going, and as soon as you started talking about talking to her about flow, she like she put the whole thing away. She's like, "I'm never doing this again." It took all the fun out of it. Yeah, yeah, no, no, I just take my advice. Don't, don't try to do that. Plus, my my wife is a is a uh, CSM, the CSPO too. Ah, so okay. Was, so yeah, right. my my the Jedi mind tricks have no effect on her. <laughs> All right. So if people want to get in touch with you to ask me questions about applying this stuff to any aspect of their life other than their marriage, uh, what's the best way to reach you? I'll just reach out to me. Uh, it's out on the, on the Leading Agile website, Rick McMichael, okay. rick.michael at leadingagile.com. Cool. And I'll make sure to include all your information in the show notes. This, I really appreciate you doing this and having this conversation with me, um, and especially for letting me kind of push it in so many different directions. But thank you very much. You are welcome. I enjoyed it.